0: welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Bruce Backman here on the Siegel Network, com. And uh, I'm a little bit hoarse right now, but it is uh, 9-11, September 11th. We are recording this on Wednesday, September 11th, and uh, it's up to date as of then because you never know what's going to happen in another day in this administration of the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, Bruce Welcome back from summer hiatus.
1: Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. So uh, first and foremost, let's talk about the bombshell. John Bolton is out. Donald Trump has now cycled through three so far national security advisors with one to come.
1: My thoughts on this is I was surprised that he took him and I was surprised how he left. But with Donald Trump, with the president, I think that's pretty par for the course. I was very surprised that John Bolton was taken, considered that the president was definitely pursuing a much more quasi-isolationist slash nationalistic style of, um, foreign policy. And then once Bolton got in there, it's funny, I saw Bolton on TV after, right after he got, he was interviewed and he said, you know, he knew the, who he was, he knew who the president was. And I thought Bolton would have, I wouldn't say be a team player, but I thought he would have found a way to not push his long-standing, you know, n- more neoconservative agendas. In the White House, which this place is clearly not neoconservative at all,
0: um, but I, apparently he couldn't hold himself back, and now he doesn't have a job. But the job of the National Security Advisor is not to push your own agenda. I mean, first of all, they both should have seen this coming. I mean, it's kind of odd.
1: It was a weird marriage, a, it, it, Right, it's weird. It right, it was a very strange marriage. I was. Why of, are you picking him in the first you know, place? No, it's funny. I actually. I have a different view of things. I mean I have the more Lincoln-esque view is that I think it's good to have a lot of different kinds of opinions in the White House so you can make much more – You can have different views. opinions
0: but the national security advisor has a the different – national
1: security advisor is being counteracted by the secretary of state who's counteracted by the people
0: who are leading intelligence. No, but the point, the point of the national security advisor is to be the broker, is to be the person Correct. who brings all the information together, not to be – You know, if if you disagree with them, then he's no longer playing.
1: But other presidents have had national security advisors and secretary of states who haven't seen eye to eye and they've liked the balancing of views when it comes to foreign policy matters. And this didn't really seem for most presidents, it would have been more passable for this president, where if you're not in lockstep on everything, I think it doesn't really work. You know, the president clearly wasn't listening to his national security advisor. He was much more interested in what the Secretary of State had to say,
0: including to some of his friends in Congress. But let's remember how this came about, or at least what the final straw was, right? <clears throat> the president was going to invite the Taliban mm-hmm. to Camp David. Correct. Okay, for a Camp David-style peace negotiation, so he'd get the Nobel Prize or whatever it was. So... <clears throat> That is a colossally bad idea well, on so many fronts, but in the week of
1: 9-11? I think this president is I, – I, when I heard that the Taliban was going to come to Kandahar for a summit, I was stupefied, uh, for lack of a better word. I was just That's shocked. actually a good word. It is a good word, and I was in, in shock. I mean, it was utter shock. It wasn't shocked that the president wanted to end the whole, you know, the whole war and the like and military activities in Afghanistan. It was the way he wanted to do it. The Taliban is one of the few groups in the world that doesn't really have any supporters and any friends and any sympathy. I mean, they're they're a a very unsympathetic group of people Um, to provide sympathy to them after they were so intrinsic in... I don't know, maybe 9-11, um, is just a little bit shocking. However, this president thinks that he is, you know, Nixon went to China once. And this president likes to go to China once a week. Um, he's a little bit, and when you can't go That's to China the
0: metaphorical that going to China, I
1: imagine. Yes, but he likes to go to China a lot. And when you go to China all the time, it doesn't really mean anything anymore. So he's constantly pushing envelopes. Uh, and I think this is just the furthest one I don't know who leaked the information But clearly we would have found out one way or another What do you mean, the
0: president leaked it, put it on Twitter
1: No, but initially there was talk about this months ago That I already heard that the president was reaching out to people like the Taliban And people thought it was crazy And then he just came out with it anyways And people were shocked I mean, this this, should have, this shouldn't have gotten to the point of the president saying that he's going to do it This should have been stopped, you know, from Once it left his mouth It should have been like, that's not a bad idea, and let's move on
0: Yeah, well, I think people said it was a bad idea The problem is he didn't like that, so he fired him.
1: Correct. And Mm -hmm. now he's out of a job. And the truth of the matter is, is John Bolton's worldview, as much as he's a very big supporter of the state of Israel, and he's a very big supporter of interests that are important to Jewish people um, when it comes to Israel security, I mean, some of his views do call for more wars everywhere. So I am of the position that he wouldn't have been my choice to be head of national security as well, because I really don't want to have the United States go to more wars than it has to go to. And John Bolton, like him or not, has favored most wars to most places over the last 25, 30 years.
0: Well, what does this mean to everybody? I mean, when you think about it, okay, the president has his view of the world, which is, you know, let's get less involved and stuff And then Bolton is the
1: I'm going to defend The president's view of the world You should The president's view Is not that the United States Should be less involved The president's One of us view has of, to defend it Well I'm going to defend it Because it needs to be defended The president's view is Is that before we send American troops to die Let's make sure There's a really, really, really Really, really good reason Because unfortunately A lot of people in Washington Don't have children who serve Don't know people who serve And just show up At Veterans Day parades And are like Oh yeah the, the... We have to start To ask the question if we really need to send troops and we really need to make orphans and widows on a regular basis without goals and objectives to win any of the reasons that we have orphans and widows. So the Trump uh, perspective is really based on the fact that the Iraq war was not a good idea. Some of the other activities in Libya were not a good idea. And there are widows and orphans as a result of it, and nobody knows why. So Trump's like, if we're going to send people, let's make sure we know why they're going there, and let's have a really damn good reason. And to be honest with you, I think it's very, very commendable.
0: And we also need to know why we're getting out. That's, that's. I mean, I haven't. United, it's a little bit simplistic. Ronald
1: Reagan, when he ran for president in 1980, was asked on the stump, or could have been in an interview, and I read it many years ago. He said that the problem with the Vietnam War wasn't the concept of the war. The problem is the United States should not be going to wars. that does not have any plans to win. You cannot take American troops and put them in dangerous places, putting them in harm's way, and unfortunately some of them dying, if you don't have a reason for them to be there and a plan for them to leave.
0: We do have a reason to be in Afghanistan, don't we?
1: I'm so, not sure we have a reason to uh, be in Afghanistan. We don't have a way of leaving Afghanistan. Oh,
0: that's true. but what? But Okay. I mean, I don't want to get into the whole...
1: This is this. this puts me in a very uh, unstrange position, but I, but I hear too many people eager to send troops in politics and on television and in media over the years, and unfortunately there are widows and orphans at the end of the day, and there aren't half of the things they said that were going to come out of it. So it's okay to ask the question and to be cautious. I think it's conservative, truly conservative, to be cautious before you send troops into harm's way. And I think that John Bolton's perspective on sending troops anywhere and everywhere in between when he's never served a day... Is a pretty fair question to ask. Where a guy like Mom, Pop, Mike Pompeo has, you know, these are fair questions to ask. I
0: But mean, Mike Pompeo was never an isolationist either.
1: Yes, so. but he's more in keeping with the president's worldview.
0: Well, well it's not he, just for political reasons. He is now. I mean, I don't know. I that, think. I think. I, I don't think, think he was beforehand.
1: I think a lot of us weren't beforehand because we were scared to say out loud, "Why are we going to war in these places?" All when right. I was working in when I was working in politics years ago. For Governor Pataki, I remember sitting in the office with friends of ours, you know, colleagues, talking about the United States going to the Iraq War and feeling uncomfortable. Like, why are we sending troops to Iraq? And it was like, oh, we have to get Saddam. He was behind 9 11. We have to get Saddam. He's really bad. And I'm like, are you sure? Is this a really good idea? And people would laugh at me. And if anybody said anything that questioned the sending of troops to dangerous places, people would think right away that you were unpatriotic. And Trump comes along and he waves the flag like crazy. He's like, I'm not unpatriotic, but I don't want to send troops if, they're going to, if there's not a good reason for people to become widows and orphans. And I think it's a fair question to ask. Hell, I think it's a question that every foreign leader should be asking. It's the toughest job that, 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 a, that a head of state in the United States has, is when when to send people to war and when to bring them home.
0: I, <clears throat> I think it's all fair. And I apologize for the status of my voice here. But that's not what's going on here. I mean, this is just... No,
1: it's not what's going on here. But John Bolton, if left to his volition, would be sending troops to
0: anywhere and everywhere in between. Uh, he,
1: there's not a war. He's not favoring. his didn't,
0: life. That didn't actually happen
1: what didn't
0: that did actually happen and by the way it's it not didn't
1: actually happened
0: you don't john, know what he's favoring in the white house no, over there john bolton he wants was, to blow up every country john bolton is not there to set policy he's he there to,
1: isn't there to set policy the president's not interested with someone with that worldview it's not it's not his so then agenda. why did he hire him that's the question i asked at the time okay but I thought maybe he just wanted another point of view
0: so why okay so he just hired somebody and he's- why,
1: do, why do Republicans' administrations always make sure there's one token Democrat? Why do Democrats put in one token Republican? Because they like to say there's somebody from a different point of view in the building, someone who speaks the other party Yeah, but they
0: usually put that person standard. as
1: transportation secretary. Ah, you know, Bill Clinton put them at Secretary of Defense years ago. He put William Cohen there. He was a Republican from Maine. People have put them in positions of national defense before. It's not, it's not new. You know, what's, uh, President Obama himself put um, the, the senator from Nebraska there. I forget his name. Um, what's his name? Uh Chuck Hagel. Yeah. Yeah. The Nebraskan Senator, he he put Chuck Hagel there, and Chuck Hagel was from the other political party and he realized he couldn't serve and he left. People try to do it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, I don't I don't think Chuck Hagel's leaving the Obama administration was that much different than John Bolton leaving this one. It's just when you leave the president when you leave Donald Trump, it's a little bit more uh, uh scandalous
0: because I think of the I, way people come I in think and the way I, people go out. I think unceremonious is be the probably the best way. Um it I don't know if it's unceremonious. I think
1: it is a little... I mean, being honest, if I were the president, which I'm not and I can't put myself in his head, I would let the guy say that he resigned just to let him say right.
0: face and move on. But it cares. also helps you say face. Yeah. I think what the what he's missing wasn't here... not working out.
1: He resigned. He understood we don't I get along. I think a what he's missing on. here
0: is that when you hire people and then you basically can't wait for them to leave and you knock them, you're, it's a reflection on you as well.
1: Yeah, but the president believes in never giving an inch, so that's, 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 his, that's his M.O. That's his modus operandi.
0: Yeah, well... You know, I
1: always wonder, and I like the president, I support the president, I agree with him on most issues, but I always wonder if he ever had, like, a speech about, you know, maybe we should just be a little softer and nicer and kinder in this country. I've made some mistakes, you know, sometimes I'm a little harsh and tough in public, and you know, I kind of wonder if I, if, you know, maybe we need a softer tone. I think that would be a very, very special moment for the country, but at the same time, this president doesn't realize that he has the ability to do that kind of thing because it just doesn't work. It's not his M.O. I mean, hes, just, he's just, you're not going to change him. But if he never made a speech like that, it would change the discourse in this country very quickly. Sure, he get criticized and he'd have criticized from both sides. But a lot of people want to hear that it's okay to be civil. I mean... You know, it is okay to be civil And it's okay to disagree with people Without calling them names And it's okay to still be friends with someone Who shares different views from you On any range of issues
0: Well, speaking of agreements we
1: try to teach our kids Speaking of
0: agreements and disagreements Can we actually agree on the weather? Or Yeah, sure It's nice today It is definitely nice today But, uh, you know <clears throat> Let's talk about that little kerfuffle right. With That's just another
1: one of these things I don't understand. But at the same time, it doesn't really matter, and we should just move on from
0: it. What are you fighting about, though? That's the question. What's the president fighting about? I don't know what the president's
1: fighting about half the time. But I know that on policy, he's right, and he's pretty good at making decisions relating to national security and our safety as a country on on balance. And I support him because his views are more in keeping with mine, and I think the majority of Americans. So when he does things like that, which I can't really understand or explain,
0: to a certain degree, you just have to kind of take it with a grain of salt and move on. Okay, I think what we're referring to is the great Alabama hurricane weather controversy.
1: You know what, though? Let's talk about that for a second.
0: Well, I do do want to talk about that.
1: I have have good friends who live in Boca, Boca Raton.
0: Which is not in Alabama. Which
1: is not Alabama. It's in Florida. And he was in, quote, the way of the hurricane. Well, he stacked his fridge... Boarded his house Locked himself in Bought oxygen masks I mean he was going nuts Because he didn't know What was going to happen And they were scaring The hell out of everybody They cleared out Costco There were stampedes In every supermarket He told me about it Because I called to check On him and his family Because we're good friends And when went it all over He said the whole thing Was a big waste It was good It's almost like Costco Was behind this Because we cleaned The place out Whereas nobody went and criticized the weather people and said, "Hey, you know, you made the whole state of Florida kind of stop for four or five days because of this, and you, you know, you you did you did that. Da- I wouldn't say damage, but definitely it was it was a bit of a ruse because the the storm moved. What if the storm had gone to Alabama? The president would be viewed as a prophet.
0: That's not the point. The point here is that." We haven't National Weather Service.
1: Well, the National Weather Service told the whole state of Southern Florida that they're going to get
0: destroyed, and they didn't. But right. Look what happened. Look what happened in the Bahamas. The
1: Bahamas isn't the south of Florida. No, no. What I'm saying is
0: that's what the track was for the yes, storm. it
1: was some parts of the Bahamas that got hit, not all.
0: Of no, them. no, no. But storms are unpredictable. Of course they are. That's the that's point. Finished. But that's the point. Is that the forecast? I
1: don't understand okay. why he did it. I'm just saying that the weather service isn't always perfect and they make mistakes regularly. The they, hurricane they, yes, they, in New
0: York is proof of
1: it. Yes, they do make mistakes. and Fine. We, so the president made a mistake. He shouldn't have posted that. Okay. But I think we can also move on from and realize it's not really important for anything else that's going on in the
0: world. We're, 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 we're definitely going to move on. Let's move on to uh, special elections yesterday in, um, in North Carolina. Republicans sweep two elections one of them which of course was not supposed to be remotely close at all
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the other one um, that was the third district in North Carolina the other one which is the suburban Charlotte all the way out to Fayetteville um, which was a strongly re- red district um, one that was written to uh, elect or created to elect a Republican and a Republican won by 4,000 uh, votes in an officer as, in an officer special election absolutely
1: where Democrats spent a lot more money.
0: What are our what are takeaways?
1: The takeaways are is that at the end of the day, Republicans, the president may be a liability in some regards, but in other places in this country, he's a strength. And on balance, Democratic views and progressive views do not sell outside of big cities. I know you'll look and say that the election was close and this and that, but that election is a sign that there are places that it just doesn't move and it just doesn't sell. I, I still yeah. believe that the president, in spite of his personal unpopularity in some circles, his views, his positions on most issues are much in keeping with the majority of Americans. And if he were fortunate enough to win re-election, it's going to be on the basis of a combination of his views being more in keep with the center of the country, mixed with the fact that his opposition is totally, you know, I mean, the president's not going to win because he's better. He's just going to win because he's not as bad.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually... My take here. I mean, a lot of Democrats are saying, "Well, it's a plus 12 Republican district. That means it should elect on a a generic basis. It should be a 12-point win for a Republican." It was only a 4,000-vote win for a Republican. Small win. Um, It actually is. It's actually worse performance by the Republican in the special election than than in 2018, where it was super close. Um, so you saw that less Obviously more money is spent So a special election But the other thing I mean two two pieces here um, Number one is The suburban vote got worse For the Republicans Since so yeah. the immediate suburbs of, Char- of Charlotte Something they have to think about When it uh, comes to a lot of seats Yeah
1: but that But also has No let to me, fin- let me
0: finish Let collected. me finish Let me finish Let me finish Let me finish I agree with that But And the other thing however Is exactly as you say In a lot of these areas exurban areas Ex-urban rural areas they don't want what the Democrats are selling. And when they see Democrats, they think of what's going on in the presidential debates. They think of Medicare for All. They're thinking of decriminalizing illegal immigration, open borders, all this stuff. People don't want that.
1: Well, it's not they don't want that. They don't want... I mean, the the, the one big liability that Democrats have, no matter how many times they defend it is, is that they want to give free health insurance to illegal immigrants when half of Americans can barely pay their, their insurance premium. And free college. College is college is one thing college no, no, isn't but something that everybody has to do I
0: understand with. but health
1: insurance but,
0: but but illegal immigrants should get everything for free and, that and the
1: regular people should pay for everything who work hard this stuff yeah. doesn't sell this is not Bill Clinton's Democratic Party it's not even Barack Obama's Democratic Party because this kind of stuff doesn't sell It's it not only doesn't sell it's wrong it's wrong to do this. You can't do this to people. people. Most people I know can barely keep up with their medical bills. So what do the Democrats say? They say, oh, well, we'll just give you free Medicare. We're going to get everybody free everything. It doesn't pay for itself. No, the state of Vermont, where Bernie Sanders is from, they couldn't even pull it off. And that's a small, pretty uniform state as far as the population base. They couldn't even figure it out. It doesn't work.
0: I think Democrats have to come out of their coastal attitude here on this issue? They
1: can't come out of the coastal attitude because that's where all the
0: money is. Okay. They're
1: raising their money there and that's where where the party activists and the enthusiasts are and they need to be there because that's where where the game is. And to win the primary, because the party's moved so far to the left, they pretty much have no choice. They're stuck there. Anybody who goes out of there can't win the primary, so you make a choice. The choice is, is to be really radical now, win the primary, and then hope for the best. But if your your party could abandon you, you could deal with the third party, Bernie Sanders, who's no loyal Democrat, or someone else. Or you could deal with people sitting on their hands and staying home. I mean, if they feel that if if the person running is a Clinton-esque moderate, I can't imagine that you're going to be able to get all the college campuses excited. The hatred of Trump is is strong, but a lot of these people don't just hate Trump. They hate any quasi-corporate political movement. And the Clintons were very corporate. Um, Even in 2016, they were. And and I can't see a scenario in which they wouldn't. I mean, to me, Liz, Elizabeth Warren has the fast track to the nomination, but she's going to have a tough time getting voters out in the inner cities to vote.
0: So, <clears throat> I mean, twenty twenty is going to be interesting. Let's let's s- switch gears for a second because there is a election upon us, which by next week we will have. Perhaps we well, won't we'll know how the election in Israel turned out. We won't know how the government in Israel turned out. So, um, Bruce, what? Yesterday, Bibi announces that he's going, after the election, he's going to annex the Jordan Valley, which there's been a big consensus on that for a long time in Israel. And there's not a, not a beep anywhere, not a hoot, not a holler anywhere in the world about this. It's quite remarkable. Now, either, neither, it seems that most Israelis probably don't believe Bibi, and uh, it seems like most of the world might not believe him either.
1: I also think I, th- I think I think there's something that unfortunately Palestinians are dealing with as well is that nobody really cares anymore. Um, the, the, the Donald Trump, whether you like Donald Trump or not, if you're somebody who is supportive of the safety of the state of Israel and the gradual dele- de- delegitimization of the most radical Palestinian elements, which have been. Present And given a lot of um, prominence over the last 20 or 30 years post Oslo, but to a certain degree a little bit before um, Donald Trump has essentially destroyed the PLO. Uh, Nobody really cares. Nobody's really focused on them. Um, There's a lot of uh, hooting and hollering in some circles that, you know, we have to fight for Palestinian rights. But they have totally been decimated. I would imagine that if the president decided to annex the Jordan Valley, uh, I mean, the prime minister of Israel, if Prime Minister Netanyahu or anybody else annexed it, there would be yeah, there'd be consternation from some circles, but it would be a two-day story, and everybody would just move on. I mean, the Golan Heights have essentially been annexed, um, and now the United States supports it, and that was very little hooting and hollering, very little intifadas as a result. I think the Palestinians are on the decline. Um, I think all of these things are just going to force them at some point to come to some kind of negotiating table to, at the very least, negotiate some kind of armistice. Um, I, I'm not that positive about it because I think they always find a way to lose opportunities. But I just think people don't care. I this, think the Palestinian. I don't think the Palestinian. It's quite the change
0: when we saw in previous administrations.
1: It's quite a change. But, I mean, it's also to, you know, you got to get, everybody's like Trump, Trump, Trump. You got to give Bibi credit. Bibi saw an opening in the Sunni world. He saw a fear of the Iranians. He went and opened doors with places that nobody would deal with from Dubai to, you know, from the the UAE to a certain degree to even the Qataris at some point to the Saudis and other countries in the area who were to the point where they're just fed up. They're fed up dealing with the Palestinians. They're fed up covering from them. It's like it's enough. It's like a spoiled child. They, they they've had enough already. Like you know, there's some truth to it. And Bibi has, to a certain degree, made a lot of friends over there that nobody's really cares. I mean, and I kind of I don't feel bad for them because I don't really support their plight. But at the same time, uh, the the number of mistakes and and errors that they made have been very short sighted, and they finally caught up to them. I mean, hopefully there'll be changes in leadership in the Palestinian organ- in the Palestinian communities that they'll decide that they want to try to work with Israelis and Jewish people living in the Middle East to have a better future. But until they realize, you know, up until then, there's people been pushing them along and saying, "Yeah, yeah, 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 keep on fighting, you're going to win one day." They're getting to the point they're realizing nobody cares, no one's on their side, and it's pretty much done. Sure, they have friends in academia and Jeremy Corbyn and the like, and you know this could turn on a dime. But I would argue that Jeremy Corbyn, you know. It does not represent the majority of you amongst foreign leaders. And who's to say if he's ever to, to, you know, it's always a risk, but who's to say if he's ever to take over the U.K. anyways? I mean, then he'll give them some
0: fodder, but big deal. Well, that's the good news for BB. The bad news is <clears throat> that the likelihood, based on polling and expectations, is that we're going to be left in the same situation as we were after the last election, where he, without Yusuf al Without a Victor Lieberman, he is unable to form a government. So it's, it's kind of looking that we're going to end up in the same spot. So what, what, what's your prediction? What do you think? Where do you go from here? And assuming that he cannot form a government um, because Lieberman won't join him and then blue and white won't join with him at the helm, is, you know, do we see new leadership? New leadership in Likud. There could be new leadership in Likud,
1: but it, you have to take. Well, well, how, well why do
0: not we start from back? Step back for a second. To what, what do you think is What do you think is going to happen?
1: You think you, you know. I think I, I think I think BB is the greatest elected official political mind in the entire world. Uh, I think BB has, still has some tricks up his sleeve. I think he's way smarter than any of the consultants he's ever hired, um, and I think he'll find a way to do what he needs to do. To a certain degree, there has always been a belief in some circles that Bibi kind of wanted this Israel Beitenu fight, um, that he wouldn't join the government, and that there would be another election, even though everybody says that's crazy. Uh, Bibi's always 10 steps ahead. I don't put it past him that he could surprise everybody next week with a result that works. However, even the best of politicians lose elections, um, and it's possible that he could lose his majority, and people are fed up. I mean, he's been there a very long time, but you have to remember the accomplishments of Bibi Netanyahu whether you like his personal baggage and the alleged scandals and his everything he is without a doubt one of the, one of the greatest political enigmas uh, of the last 50 years and, it's n- and not in an anti-democratic way he is an incredibly talented and skilled politician who has tremendous achievements whether you like him or not his achievements on the economy, his achievements on day-to-day life in Israel, on safety and security, on foreign alliances for Israel—he is second to none. He is arguably, whether you like him or not, the greatest prime minister in the history of the country, and it's not even getting close anymore.
0: Yeah, I, I guess one of the best analyses is analyses that I saw with regard to Netanyahu is <clears throat> that you know he's been in power for a long time, but when you started, and when Bibi started with his you know comeback, okay that he, you know, it was, you know, it cost a fortune to make a phone call and to have a phone in Israel and also took months to get a line. It cost a fortune to fly to Europe. It cost a fortune to do just about anything. And the cost of pretty much everything in Israel for Israelis have gone down tremendously under his leadership. And for a lot of Israelis, that's what they care about. Plus the fact, it's been pretty secure.
1: I mean, the state of Israel is one of the only countries in the world In two thousand eight, nine, and ten, didn't have a recession. I mean, it had one of the most stable monetary markets. I mean, Israel has weathered. It's the Abish. God is watching over the state of Israel, and whether we like it or not, to a certain degree, God is working through Bibi. I mean, Bibi has made that country. Sure, there are people who are suffering. That sounds
0: very messianic of you.
1: It's not a messianic statement. The state of Israel has been nothing short of an economic miracle in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, it it has skipped half of the world's recessions. Its economy has stayed strong. It has grown. People are doing better, making more money. There's less regulation. It's easier to live there. Um, It's more respected in the world. Forget the foreign policy stuff. Day-to-day life in Israel today, Israel's become a very good place to live economically. I still remember as a child what it was like to go and visit Israel, and I saw the way cousins, families, friends lived, and how they struggled, even in good jobs. Today, there's tremendous economic opportunity in Israel, not just because of the Israeli miracles and technology. Generally speaking, on the whole country, tourism has improved. Um, Hotels have improved. Restaurants, food, culinary. Israel was, once upon a time, a country that was known for nothing more than falafel and schnitzel. And today it's one, Tel Aviv is one of the culinary capitals of the world. I mean, that's in nothing more than less than 10 or 15 years.
0: Yeah, but he does win Tel Aviv. Pardon me? Not a lot of people in Tel Aviv vote for him.
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter the lifestyle of people living. The only challenge you have in Israel is the challenge you have in a lot of places that do well. Is that the big cities have become very unaffordable. And people are constantly forced <laughs> to move further and further from where they work. And infrastructure has to keep up. And that's a challenge. They've done their best. But it's still challenging with the fast train. Okay, so last,
0: last question. What does he do if he doesn't win?
1: I don't see a scenario that B.B. doesn't pull it off.
0: He doesn't pull it off? How, how's he going to pull out of government? I don't know. Okay. I, I don't
1: know. I I, I I think B.B. is still stronger I mean, than everybody you're, else. You're still
0: looking at max for the right right now without Yosemite Taino, 56, 57 seats. I just don't know where the other seats come from. I mean, unless... unless they're just so far off. We'll
1: see what the okay. I think the polling may also be depressed next week. I think that the two elections in a short period of time may not have it. Oh, yeah. I think there's a series of things that could lead BB to get to his magic numbers. Um, but, you, you know, whether he wins or loses... You cannot take away, and you don't have to like him. You cannot take away the man's achievements; they're, they're nothing short yeah. of awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I don't disagree. The pro, the problem, and I think, I think we, the problem for him is all these guys who used to work for him, meaning Lieberman, Bennett, Shaked. No all, one
1: says he's easy to work with. No, no, no one right? Says his wife is easy well,
0: we you know what goes around comes around in politics. So, uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens when that happens. That's it for this week here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Seal Network. Michael Fragan and Bruce Backman signing off. We will see you next week post Israeli elections.